I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read verse 36 through 46. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful. And troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Write its eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. All throughout history, we see countless people facing certain death with courage. Who hasn't been emboldened by the stories of those who've gone before us who have stood for a cause and and given their lives willingly and bravely? A couple of people that uh, sprang to my mind as I thought about this was one, John Hooper. Now, John Hooper may not be someone that uh, you are familiar with, but at one time he was the Bishop of Gloucester in England. And Gloucester was a town close to where uh, my family lived, for about seven years uh, in England. And Gloucester has a cathedral, and right outside the cathedral you can go to the very spot where the bishop of that church was burned at the stake. Uh, You see, he had changed his views, and that was at a time in the 1500s where there wasn't religious freedom. And actually, the views that he was taking on that were illegal were the very views that we hold today here in this church. And he was burned at the stake. And one person who was recording uh, the events of February 1555 when he was burned at the stake said he met his fate with steadfast courage and unshaken conviction. Another fellow that stands out to me that you may never have heard of is a a guy named David Haxton. David Haxton uh, was about a century later and he, he suffered for his faith in Scotland. And he suffered for being a Presbyterian. Uh, something that we can't even fathom today. But the charge that was brought against him called for him to be drawn backward on a hurdle on the cross and that there be a high scaffold erected a little above the cross where in the first place his right hand is to be struck off and then after some time his left hand then is to be hung but before he dies he is to be cut down And then his heart is to be cut out, and he is to be disemboweled, then quartered 
and all of his body parts put on display. Thankfully, we don't have corporate punishment like that anymore in our land. But this fellow, he made his testimony on the scaffold there after he had already uh, was suffering from great wounds and he suffered the cutting off of his right hand. And after the hangman had difficulty getting the thing off because he was just hacking away at it, he politely said to the hangman, why don't you just cut it off with a joint on the left hand and make it easier for yourself? I mean, I couldn't imagine saying something like that uh, while someone was doing such terrible things to me. But he was bold and brave in death. Now, here in our text today, we see Jesus. And it tells us here that he was sorrowful and troubled. And there are some verses in Luke that say he was even sweating like drops of blood. And that word sorrowful, he was sorrowful, he tells the disciples. It means he was afflicted beyond measure. He he was troubled deep in his very soul. And that word troubled means distress and anguish, even horror. Mark's account of this very event uh, tells us that he had feelings of astonishment. Now, Jesus was always unflappable. You know, he faced fierce uh, opponents. Uh, The Pharisees were always facing him down, and, and he even faced death. They picked up stones to stone him, and he just walks right through calmly. But here we see Jesus troubled and sorrowful. Now, he knew he was going to die. He, throughout the Gospels, he tells the disciples that that is indeed what he was going to do. And in fact, that's what he came to do, was to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And he knew that the time had come to do what he came to do. He says repeatedly in John that his hour had come. The hour had come for him to Lay down his life. Now this section is preceded by the Last Supper. Jesus ate with his disciples, and he also uh, washed the disciples' feet. But John tells us that he knew that the Father had given all things back into his hands, and that he was going to that he came from God and was going back to God. Now, I mean, he had this knowledge that in just a short time. He was going to go back to the right hand of the Father with glory and majesty, ruling over all creation, to be in that position of right and honor. So he knew what was going to happen. At the end, very positive, wonderful place to be. But here he is sorrowful and troubled and seemingly full of anxiety. Why is Jesus in such a state at the Garden of Gethsemane? Why is he not like Hooper or Haxton, who exhibited so much confidence at their executions? Now, if it were anyone else, we might say, well, he's lacking courage. But this is Jesus. He's the perfect Son of God. He was never weak or cowardly. No, Jesus was facing something much more daunting than any martyr throughout history ever faced. Something unimaginable to a human being like us. Jesus was beginning to taste what was about to happen to him. Something that made being burnt alive or drawn in quarters seem like a flea bite. And he tells us exactly what it is that is causing him so much distress. 
And he calls it the cup. He prays to the Father, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. It's the cup that he's concerned about drinking. What is this cup? Well, throughout the Bible, the cup is used as a metaphor for the wrath of God on human sin and evil. Just a couple of passages. Psalm 75, 8 says, In the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And Isaiah tells us that in the, the, the Lord has a, a cup of wrath. The, he calls it a cup of staggering. And Ezekiel calls it a cup of horror and desolation. When God stops tolerating evil, He steps in and He does something about it. He pours His wrath out upon evil. Jesus knew what He came to do and what He is about to face. And that is the cup, the wrath of God for evil and sin. So that we would not have to drink that cup. So we would not have to endure suffering for our sin and evil. Now Jesus suffered on the cross and it was a horrible torture that He went through. But the torture that He endured was much more than just physical suffering. That was all part of it. But He endured torment in His soul. First of all, He endured abandonment by His Father. The same Father who on several occasions said, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased, My beloved Son. And every time Jesus prayed, He encountered that Heavenly Father in that manner. He was always the beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But on the cross... It was a different story. It was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus was forsaken on the cross. The only person who ever lived who did not deserve to be abandoned by God, by the Father. I mean, he lived a perfect life. He was perfectly acceptable to the Father. But he was the only person who was truly abandoned by his Father. We prayed just a few moments ago. And we have confidence to go before the throne of grace and know that God hears our prayers and He answers our prayers. He, he may not answer them like we want Him to answer them, but we know that He will answer them according to His wisdom and His will. But Jesus' prayer here and on the cross went unanswered. His beloved Son, in whom He was well pleased, the Father did not answer His prayer. And He did that for us. Now, if someone... Uh, decided, came in off the street and said, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, and you had no idea who they were, you would probably say, well, good. I don't care. I don't even know who you are. So it doesn't make any difference to me if you don't want to have anything to do with me uh, at all. It, it's, I don't even have a relationship with you, so I'm not hurt by that. But if it were uh, a friend, a friend at school, say, and they said, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Leave me alone. That would, that would hurt us. That would hurt us. What if it were a boyfriend or a girlfriend? That would be even more painful. And if it was a spouse, it would be devastating. If all of a sudden your spouse said, 
I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. A terrible thing to happen. But here we have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who for eternity had known a perfect love relationship. Something that we cannot imagine because we're all sinners and our relationships are fraught with difficulties and brokenness. But in that relationship, the Holy Trinity, always perfect, always perfectly loving. So when Jesus was abandoned by his heavenly Father on the cross, that was a suffering that we could not even fathom or imagine. Because here he is separated and abandoned by the very one whom he's closest to for eternity. Why did he do it? For us. Jesus knew that this was what he was facing, what he was about to go through, and it filled his soul with horror. Even creation responds. You know, when Jesus was crucified uh, at, at noon till 3 o'clock, it was dark. And it was as if creation reflected the abandonment and, and, the, the, and the wrath of God that was being poured out on the sun at that moment. Uh, that creation couldn't bear to watch what was going on to Jesus at that moment. What he literally does is endures hell on the cross because that's what hell is. It's a final rejection from God. And there's no return from it. And what Jesus went through on the cross was hell, our hell, for us. He paid the penalty. The hell that we deserve for every little sin that we commit, Jesus paid the penalty for it on the cross. And not just one person's hell, but for all of his people's hell. All of his people's sins, he endured their hell on the cross. We cannot fathom the suffering. So when Jesus is praying, let this cup pass from me, you can see why he would make that prayer, why he would be uh, astonished and horrified and troubled by what he was about to go through. It was not a comfortable thing. He was made sin, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah tells us that he was stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So he endured that on the cross. And it's the glorious, most glorious thing that he said when he said, It is finished. It is finished. Those wonderful words that he said there. Uh, it's a, it's a, an accounting term. It's what you would get marked on a receipt that says paid in full. It means paid in full. Jesus did it all there on the cross. When we say in the creed in a few moments, he descended into hell, that's what we mean. We mean he, he suffered hell and, and all the pangs of death on the cross. He didn't literally go down to a place, descend down into a place called hell. He endured it there. And he was able to say, I've endured it for my people. They don't have to endure it anymore. They don't have to go through that. I have saved them from that fate. They will not face the wrath of God. It's been paid. See, he commits himself to doing this for us. He says, Lord, Father, let this cup pass from me, but if not, let you, I want your will to be done. That's what I've come to do. And he did it willingly for us. So that's a cause for rejoicing for us today. Uh, a cause for us to value what Jesus has done for us even more. Now, the disciples didn't get what was going on. 
And sometimes we don't get what Jesus did for us. We're a lot like the disciples. You know, Jesus was there. I mean, He had just washed their feet. I mean, that was a menial task, one that even Jewish slaves were not, was not, allow, they were not allowed to do that. Uh, only Gentile slaves could wash feet. It was, it was too low a task for a Jewish slave to do. But here's Jesus, their master, their teacher, washing their feet, showing them His love. It was just a, a glimpse into the great love that He was going to show them in a short while by hanging on the cross for their sins. And Jesus even washes Judas' feet, which is amazing, knowing what Judas is about to do to him. What, a, what great love Jesus has and had then. So the disciples didn't understand. And so when, they, when Jesus says, I'm troubled, you know, pray with me. I mean, you would think, okay, you know, he's just washed your feet and he's done so much for you, at least you could sit up with him while he's going through this difficult time. But they just didn't get it. They didn't understand the depth of what he was going through or, or what he was about to face. He had, he had told them, of course, but they didn't fully understand it or apprehend it. And therefore, they did not watch and pray. They did not respond appropriately to what Jesus had asked them to do. And isn't that the true, true of us as well? If we don't fully apprehend and understand what Jesus has done for us, we will be less willing to watch and pray, or to do anything else that Jesus calls us to do. So this shows us a couple of things. It shows us the power of the gospel, first of all. The gospel is powerful. When you apprehend and understand and embrace the gospel in your life, what Jesus has actually done for you, that becomes fuel for your service to the Lord. Ah, yes, if the disciples have seen, I understand why he's troubled. I understand why he is... He is really anxious at this moment. He's about to go suffer the wrath of God on the cross for us. And I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to watch with him. I'm going to hold his hand. I'm going to hug him. But they went to sleep because they didn't understand. When you understand the gospel, when you understand what Christ has done, it says, you know, Lord, you've done so much for me. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? So if you find yourself, your love for the Lord has grown cold, or maybe you don't even love the Lord at all, Take a look at Jesus Christ and what He's actually done for you and remind yourself again and again. That's what this table is all about. Jesus gave us a physical representation of what He did on the cross and He said, do this in remembrance of Me because I know you're going to forget. You're not going to understand the full impact of it. You need something not only to hear about it but to, to taste and to touch and to feel it. To get it down in the very soul so that it will transform you by the renewing of your mind. So it shows us, first of all, the power of the gospel. It also shows us the seriousness of sin. Sin must be really bad if it caused the sinless Son of God to have to go to the cross to suffer and die for it. So as we think about that, you can see how that would fuel our desire not to sin. These sins that we so flippantly commit are pet sins that we think are no big deal. I mean, Jesus had to suffer wrath from God because of that one sin and all the rest of them. Jesus was willing to drink the cup that I should drink, that cup full of the devastating wrath from the Father for my sin. And it was such a troublesome thing that the Son of God had a sense of dread and sweating drops of blood at the thought of it. So, yes, number two. Sin is serious. 
And God has dealt with it in a serious manner. We also see, finally, the love of God. The love of God on display for us here. Now we think, well, here's a God who's full of wrath and He's pouring it out on His Son. What kind of God is that? And a lot of people object to that kind of God. And they don't want to hear about that kind of God. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't have a God who is willing to, to, take it, to take sin and evil seriously, then you don't have a loving God. If you don't have a God who is wrathful, then you don't have a God who's loving. Because if He's not wrathful against what's evil and wrong and sinful in the world, then He just doesn't care, then that's not love at all. We have a God who, who loved people so much He didn't want to see them enslaved to sin, live in this broken world, uh, completely destroy their lives. He stepped in and He did something about it. And He loved us so much that He was willing to let His own Son step into our place and suffer and die there. We're going to sing in a moment how deep the Father's love for us, how vast, beyond all measure. I mean, it is beyond all measure when you think about what Jesus has done for us. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. That He would love us who don't love Him back. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, you know, yeah, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, I find often that my spirit's not even willing that I don't even want to serve the Lord. How shameful when we consider what He's done for us. You know, he got this, the song we're going to sing says, go, go, goes on to say, It was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. The second stanza, second, third verse, the third line. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. What a, what a great thing to rejoice in. The great love of God. This is the greatest demonstration. John says that in 1 John. Here we have in the cross the greatest manifestation of the love of God. That Jesus was made a propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement for us. That was the greatest act of love, greatest demonstration of the love that the the world has ever seen. There's another cup in Scripture. The cup of wrath is one that we don't have to fear anymore because Jesus has already drank it. That cup is empty. There's now a cup called the cup of salvation. And we read about it in the call to worship. It says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I mean, think about that. All the benefits that He's given us through His death, through His resurrection, and just the wonderful things that He gives us on a daily basis. What shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits that He's given us? I will lift up the cup of salvation. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, you have a great provision for your sin. And the least you can do is drink it. He's poured the cup of salvation. He's emptied the cup of wrath. He's poured the cup of salvation. He sits it down for you and says, here it is. I'm giving it to you for free. You don't even have to pay for it. Just pick it up and drink it. What will you do for all that the Lord has done for you? Pick the cup up. Take hold of the salvation that Christ has given you. If you've already taken up salvation, if it's yours, then rejoice in it again. Keep drinking from that cup of salvation. Keep rejoicing in what Christ has done. Keep calling on the name of the Lord. And as the passage says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. It's not just talking about giving an offering. 
But all that you've promised the Lord, fulfill. Do it. Serve Him. Give Him your all. That's what this passage is calling us today, to today as we reflect on the love of Christ. Now we come to the table and we have again, like I said, this physical reminder of what the Lord has done for us. And we have the opportunity to take up the cup of salvation and to remember again what Jesus has done for us. But before we do so, let's pray and then we'll sing uh, how deep the Father's love for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for, for Jesus Christ, for taking up the cup of salvation for us, saving us from the dreadful wrath that we face justly for our sin. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us by faith to take up the cup of salvation and call upon your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.